Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from Percy'sGrowRoom.com. This interview is with Steve from a podcast called Growing with the Fishes, also known as Potent Ponics. Uh, Steve's a really cool guy. He gives up some great information here about how to make your own bacteria, beneficial microbes for your grow and shit like that. He tells us about some of the awesome guests he's had on his show. And he tells us about uh, the consultation work that he also does in regards to growing cannabis all over the world. He's a very popular guy, knows his shit, super cool guy, man. And if you haven't heard of his podcast before, Growing With The Fishes, then go and check it out. It's a few hundred episodes in. They've got loads of good content to listen to. So it's highly recommended. And you can find out all about it at potentponics.com. So head over there and check out his shit. But in the meantime, here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Don't forget to like and share. Head over to our YouTube channel and subscribe. And if you're not a member of Percy's Grow Room yet, then it would be massively appreciated if you head over there and sign up and become a member. It's all free. And we want as many people who listen to the podcast part of the community as possible. That would be sweet to see you over there. But for now, here's the interview. See you after this. So your show is called Growing with the Fishes. Is that because you grow aquaponically? Yeah, I originally named it um, Growing with Fishes just because it was an aquaponic cannabis podcast. Originally, that was... <laughs> and you ain't spoke about it for ages now and you just don't want to change the name. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 300 and it's like now it's more of like a living soil and aquaponic thing we we don't really cover chemical hydro much or anything like that mm. it's just more sustainable practices you know in general i probably in hindsight would have named it something else but uh it's okay that's the way it goes hindsight is always 2020 as they say i like the name i never thought we'd get to 300 episodes you know we're mm-hmm. approaching now and I certainly never thought we'd get to that many. I thought we'd run out of topics or run out of guests. And I mean, I have a queue right now, of like 20 or 30 people lined up for the next like half a year or so. Sweet. Nice. So you've, you've must've like spoken to everybody by now, right? Just about, there's two people that are, well, Jorge Cervantes I have not had on the show simply because not because he's like not agreed to come on the show, but him and I keep having like schedule issues where like he mm-hmm. can come on and one of us has a last minute thing. Yeah, and we had that's happened four times. Uh, the only other person that I've, I wanted to get on that I haven't gotten on is Hamilton Morris uh, because I just have not been able to get a reply out of him. I, I've messaged him and he just never replies to me. So one day, yeah. you just got to keep trying, isn't it? I'll, I'll get him. Uh, we have enough mutual friends in real life. It's just a matter of bumping into him at the right time at one of these events. I want Mike Tyson on. That's my mission. He's, <laughs> does a lot of shows and stuff i'm sure mm-hmm. you could get them up yes it's just uh you're trying to get the contact details that's the most difficult thing getting guests i think a lot of people are easy to find on social media you can get in touch with them via social media or their company or something i'm just sure you know how it goes find their website yeah. get a contact page he's like <laughs> being interviewed by i think it's barbara walters you you were interviewed by barbara walters i don't know uh, mike tyson and she's like, what's the best punch you ever threw? And he's like, well, he thinks about it for a minute. And he's like, when I punched my ex-wife right in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> At least he's honest, man. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. He's a funny guy. I worked for Lennox Lewis for a little while in Jamaica. He's the guy that ended Tyson's career. Ooh. He was super cool to work for down in Jamaica. Cool, man. What was you doing down Not there? You were growing down there, were you? Oh, yeah. Not a guy I'd ever want to piss off, but really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Yeah, somebody you wouldn't want to get onto the wrong side of. No. So how long have you been growing then, Steve? I've been growing in the legal market since 2010. Oops. I've been growing since I was 13 in the free people's market. So. <laughs> free people's market. I like it. Also heard of the untaxed market. Yeah, untaxed is a good way to put it too. The, the unregulated market. Is... That's another, yeah. Yeah, loads of different ways you can say it. But, you know, as long when as it was free, own. essentially. <laughs> when it was in the hands the of the market. people. Yeah. So what do you do now? Do you, do you do you grow now for a living? Do you, you grow in some special greenhouse or something? Yeah, so I do consulting. So I help people set up their facilities uh, from scratch or I'll help them expand or I'll come in if they already have a facility up and running and figure out what's wrong with their workflow or if they're having insect problems or plant disease problems, I'll come in and help um, you know alleviate those issues. Um, um, and that's the bulk of my work. And then sometimes I have some other stuff. I also do some extraction technologies. Um, I license some different edible products out as well uh, on the extraction side. So um, that's the bulk of my work. Sweet man, you've got a got a problem. You call Steve. He fixes yeah. it. There you <laughs> go. Well, that writing SOPs, so standard operating procedures that anyone can follow um, for a facility, right? So. Uh, a lot of these different facilities and newer facilities don't have protocols on what to do when you find a bug, you know, what to do when you, a plant doesn't look right, like what to do if um, uh, there's an earthquake and you need to like what to shut off to prevent, you know, leaks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. All those different types of scenarios, depending on where they're at, um, so that people have a nice easy protocol so that if a worker doesn't know what to do, they can just go to the instruction manual, follow the procedures, and then everything is, is fixed. And that, that's, you know, the large, most of what I do is just setting them up with SOPs and then training the employees to those SOPs um, so that they can, you know, kind of handle it on their own. Nice, man. You've been doing that, you've been doing that for a while? Yeah, I started off, uh, I used to run a large nursery back in Pennsylvania, a place called Blood Good Landscape, and they had a, a really large um, nursery facility and uh, did a lot of work with them out there and then moved out to... Um, uh, Colorado in 2010, and then started working on uh, can, you know can, legal cannabis facilities out here, and it was an easy switch over. I was already used to doing large scale plant stuff, so it was easy to you know handle the manage, plant management side. And then uh, ended up after the floods hit in 2011 or 2012, I forget what year it was. Um, in Colorado, uh, ended up not being you know lost the place I was working at because of the flooding. So I ended up getting a job at Aquaponics Source, and then heading up their research lab and, and product development for quite a few years, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then uh, working on R&D, and then when they sold the company, the new owners didn't want to be involved in cannabis anymore. So uh, I started my own consulting company at that point in 2016, and then I've been kind of travel globe trotting since then, uh, working on different projects in Africa, Sweet, and the Caribbean, and Canada, and across the US, so it's been a lot of fun. Damn, that's cool. Have you ever thought about the, the irony, the fact that you, know, you, you got flooded out of a job and to, went to work? working with fish right yeah. <laughs> never thought of it, actually like in that context but it's pretty funny i never it is it is kind of like, <laughs> wow that's weird you know 
So your, your training, as far as when you started getting into this with the nursery and stuff, are you all just pretty much self-taught? Uh, so I did aquarium trade ever since I was in first grade. Uh, uh -huh. And then I started working in a pet shop when I was 12. I caught one of the employees stealing stuff and the, the guy said it thought I was honest. So he offered me the guy's job after he fired the other guy. Wow. <laughs> so I, um, so I, I, to be honest with you, reef tanks are more complicated to work on than cannabis. Um, yeah. They're more sensitive. There's more chemistry. You have to mm -hmm. test your strontium and your, you know, all these other minerals that you never test for in cannabis. So go, going to cannabis and hybridizing the nutrient systems uh, make, it was really easy to me because I was so used to looking at things in a much more detailed way in terms of nutrients and measuring different nutrients by the different parts per million individually and all, all these other kinds of things um, really uh, uh, kind of made it an easy transition into cannabis and made it easy to refine uh, quickly, the, the biggest issue with aquaponic cannabis was trying to figure out how to boost the nutrients uh, without harming the fish. <coughs> Sorry, one second. Stoners. Um, yeah. <laughs> COVID-420. 420, I like it. COVID-420. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so uh, it was trying to figure out how to make the plants have access to more nutrients in the root zone without necessarily being uh, fish accessible. So that's when we started working with dual root zone pots where we have the top half of the pot has uh, soil in it. We separate it with a layer of burlap and the bottom half of the pot is uh, lava rock or hydrogen or uh, clay pebbles or uh, whatever it is that they're, they're called over in Europe. Um, I think you guys probably know it. Hydro beads, I think is another name. That they no, call clay, it. Pe yeah. clay pellets, clay Hydrotone, pebbles. Yeah. 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 All sorts so, of different names. Uh, Sure. So, and then we add extra holes in the bottom of the pot, and this allows the bottom part of the pot to flood and drain uh, the same it would as if it was just in a grow bed. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the top portion can be top watered uh, with the burlap layer being just above the separation layer being just above the water line so that it's separately watered. You don't want to wick the water up because then it'll get too wet. But this allows you to have the terrestrial soil zone, which can have any nutrients that you want in it. You can top feed nutrients into that soil layer without harming the fish at all. You can run the same base nutrient and grow lettuce and cannabis in the same system without any kind of adjustments to the nutrients, um, which is really cool. Um, uh, and then just you simply top feeding or making a soil mix that has the stuff that the cannabis needs. Uh, the other benefit to having the soil in, and the aquatic portion in the root zone is that it allows for better stimulation of the plant's immune system and you have better terpenes uh, and secondary metabolite production because you have all the terrestrial microbes stimulating the immune system of the plant, the um, mycorrhizal fungi, uh, all those different terrestrial microbes uh, doing all their thing in that upper portion. And then you have the flood and drain section in the bottom uh, with all the aquatic microbes that stimulate the plant in a whole different way. Um, so that really is the, uh, um, you know, the key to really boosting your terpenes is microbial biodiversity, the root zone. Mm -hmm. If you want to have super terpy, super stinky weed, that's how you do it. It's not about any of these special potions that people sell and, you know, weird concoctions that people can come up with. That's cool, but you want to focus on increasing biodiversity with things like, you know, IMO applications from KNF or, um, you know, uh, the Jadam versions of that, or, you know, compost teas, things that are going to increase the microbial species in your root zone. That's what's really going to make you have that super, super turkey heavy weed that I think a lot of us look for. Mm -hmm. We said um, a couple of acronyms there, it's something from KNF. 
Yeah, so Korean natural farming. Right, and um, what was the acronym you said before that? Gamma uh, I. IMO, which is indigenous microorganisms. Okay. So basically, um, in Korean natural farming, you take rice, you give it a quick wash, uh, and then you um, will cook it to about 80 to 85% done, not quite totally finished. Mm. Uh, and then you're going to put that into a wooden box that has a bunch of slats in it or holes drilled in the bottom. Uh, along with a cover on top just to keep the mice out or local critters out. Uh, and then above that, uh, you're going to take that box, you're going to put it into a forested area, a nice pristine area on a property, either near you or on your property, depending on where you're located, uh, where there's a lot of leaf litter and um, mosses and, and things, you know, natural kind of ground, uh, natural forest ground. Mm -hmm. um, and what that does is it allows those microbes to collect and those spores to collect up on the rice and start to populate the rice uh, so that you can collect them, the beneficial ones from that area cool. that those plants are utilizing. Um, and then you, uh, you set that out for four to five days until it fully colonizes with white or white and, you know, it'll, sometimes it'll have a few other colors. You don't want too much green. Um, but basically, once that fully colonizes, uh, after four or five days, you can take that box back, uh, take it back to your house, uh, get a clean container, uh, put it on a scale and weigh it. Uh, and then you're gonna take that, put it into a five gallon bucket or whatever your storage container is gonna be. And then you're gonna weigh another um, equal parts uh, sugar, uh, sugar in the raw or brown sugar, preferably. You can use white sugar if you have to, but raw sugar is better. And then you're gonna mix the two together. They should be equal weight or slightly more sugar. Um, so that you can use the uh, high sugar amount to um, lock out the, um, the uh, through osmotic pressure, lock out the, the oxygen in there. And what it does is it makes a lot of those microbes go to spore form. They'll immediately go to this self-preservation form where they'll basically be like a little microbe seed. Okay. So mm -hmm. now I have them shelf stable and those are good. It's like the bag of microbes you buy at the hydro store, except it's good for up to three years on your shelf. Uh, and you can create it, you know, as much as you want of it. And then you take a scoop of that, throw it in a bucket of water with an air stone, brew it up for 12 hours. And now you got, you know, a way better uh, biodiversity of microbes. That's fucking you, awesome, man. And that's so yeah. you can just pretty make up your own microbes for your soil at home. Sure. And it's so local get, microbes as well. And they love that shit even more. Yeah. So it gets even better, right? So there, you can take, there, there's other steps to this to make it even more biodiverse. You can take it into an IMO3 where you mix it with a bran or some other starch um, uh, and, and carbohydrate uh, and along with some soil mix to, to basically in, make a super um, um, inoculated soil base. And then you can add a wood base to that to make an IMO4. Um, you can ch check all this out on Chris Trump uh, on YouTube. He has a wonderful range of videos on his YouTube channel that go through a lot of this stuff. But one of the cool new things that's not on there that we've been working on, thanks to Chris Trump, introducing me to this when I was in Zimbabwe we were kind of running out of ideas on what to do about the large grasshoppers there and when I was working out in Zimbabwe so he was told me about this incident he had where weevils got into his IMO collection uh, his IMO3 the this um, uh, the brand they were using or the nutshells or whatever they were using for the IMO3 portion or maybe it was four no IMO3 Mm -hmm. um, uh, basically had weevils in it, right? So he threw it in anyway, and they grew this fungi on him. And then he realized he was propagating fungi 
that would feed on the insects. So we came up with this thing called IPMO, which is indigenous predatory microorganisms. And what's cool about this is, is that, so the same exact way that we talked about the rice, where we're gonna cook the rice to about 75, 80% of the way cooked, except if I'm doing a kilogram of rice, I'm going to, instead of doing a kilogram of rice, I'm gonna do 700 grams of rice. And then I'm gonna do 300 grams of uh, the target insect that I collected. And then to make up any other weight uh, that's missing insect frass. And we're gonna mix that together with the rice. And then we're gonna cook that together to make this um, insect heavy uh, or insect frass and, and, and um, insect juice heavy rice uh, that we then use for that same IMO collection, same four to five day collection then take it and um, cut it with sugar to stabilize it, same way we talked about with the first one. Um, but when you can take that and then brew that up. Now that's a pesticide. So you can spray that and it'll kill grasshoppers. It'll kill caterpillars. It'll kill your larger arthropods. Um, just be mindful, it will kill bees. So don't spray it on like your tomatoes when they're flowering. Don't spray it on those types of crops uh, that you think are gonna have high amount of pollinators. It is a, something I need to warn people about. It's a wonderful pesticide that you can make for yourself uh, on, on your property. And it's you're, all you're doing is collecting the local fungi that, that would kill the insects anyway, mm -hmm. uh, which is cool. So you're not contributing to any kind of negative impact in your environment. Um, I feel it's much more responsible way to go about this, especially if we're doing acres. This is way more responsible than bringing in some foreign pest, pest sure, control. And I'm, so, and I'm going to go ahead and just ask, ask just to make sure everybody understands this. This is completely safe for human consumption, right? You can drink it. Yeah, I, can, I could. Yeah, you can, 100%. but don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, you could. A nice sugary yeah. microbial drink. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, in fact, over the weekend at the conference, Chris Trump made a bunch of liquid IMO, which is just the IMO when it's brewed up uh, at, at the end. Once you, mm -hmm. once you take poop out and brew it up for 12 hours and we all drank it to prove to everybody that it was safe. Like it's, it's a good to increase your gut microbes the same way that like yogurt is. Mm, like yeah. There's nothing funky in it, right? You have, as long as that it's a good clean fungal collection, the mm -hmm. fungi exudates will kill off anything that's bad. They, they'll kill off anything like E. coli or things like that. Like it's lactobacillus is, in fact, lactobacillus we use in aquaponics we use lactobacillus serum, which is like a, a yogurt, basically the whey from yogurt. Uh, if you let it separate, uh, I guess is the, the short and easy version of it. Um, but that's, we've utilized that at three separate facilities to treat non-human pathogenic E. coli. We have a, a form of a soil E. coli that is, it causes a, a false positive on some of the testing for vegetable facilities. Mm. And we've managed to use lactobacillus to, to treat that. So, uh, so essentially yogurt whey essentially can treat that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's a wow. hyper wide range of those uh, uh, gram negative bacteria. So uh, I think you're going to see lactobacillus dosing, you know, in five to 10 years from now required for food safety protocols in, in aquaponics and hydroponics, because it, it has vitamin B in it. So it's a plant growth accelerator. Uh, it has, uh, it, it happens to wipe out many of the pathogens. It'll eat pythium or root rot. It'll eat E. coli. It'll eat, um, uh, you know, a salmonella and a whole bunch of other nasty microbes that, you know, we want to get rid of, right? But we don't want to wipe out the nitrifying bacteria or the, the phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. And they seem to leave them alone for the most part, right? So they're not negatively impacting the mineralizing bacteria, which is one of the reasons why I like lactobacillus so much is it plays nice with a lot of the other good bacteria rather than wiping them out. Like trichoderma, you can utilize trichoderma for the same type of applications, but 
um, the trichoderma will wipe out, you know, over dominate and start wiping out all your other beneficial microbes, whereas lactobacillus right. um, doesn't do that. Hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm not going to be throwing away the way out of the old, the old sour cream and in, in the uh, yogurt anymore. I need to start collecting this stuff. Hmm. Oh yeah, dude, it's good if you have like powdery mildew on your squash and your pumpkins and your, or your plants and veg. You can mm -hmm. even spray it up or wipe out the PM. Uh, it's good stuff. I have been reading about that a, recently. I didn't know as much about it. it. Just like just so happens a week after I read about it, here you are telling me all about stuff I needed to know. So this is good stuff. <laughs> or if you get like a really wet, like say it's like you grow an outdoor gorilla grow and it's super super rainy for a minute. You can spray the plants down with this, give them a good root dredge, and it'll kind of prevent that root rot. It'll, it'll, you know, eat that pithium yeah. and stuff so that it doesn't, the, you know, the roots can be wetter for a while. The other thing it can do too, if you have really hot roots, say you have a, a facility and the water, this happens in the South. Sometimes people don't design their facilities, right? Where the water's, you know, in the 80, 80 degree Fahrenheit range, which is way too hot. Um, but if you have the lactobacillus in there, you know, you don't end up getting the root rot and stuff that just rips the roots right off and the heat, which if you didn't add that, it certainly would. I've been uh, reading a little bit on using these microbes like you were talking about to get the, uh, the terpene levels up. It seems to be that a lot of people are agreeing with you that I'm reading and this, this might be the next step. I'm, I'm running in cocoa, so this is going to have to be added. It's not something I can actually put into the cocoa and leave it there long term. And I was reading something that, that it, it matched two things you said, but it wasn't the same. Now that they were advocating collecting the microbes with the rice like you had talked about, then washing the rice and letting that settle and getting the clear liquids from the center of the rice or something like that, and then, and then inoculating milk with this. And then letting the milk separate and taking the clear liquids out of the milk and using that as, as your source of your microbe. It sounded way complicated, and I hope I remember this correctly. Does that does any of that sound right? It sounded like we're actually putting microbiome. I mean, excuse me, the the, uh, the microbes and the lactobacillus together in some way with their process. Yeah. So I don't I don't know who came up with that version, but I, that version to me doesn't sound. You wouldn't want the lactobacillus introduced at the same time that the IMO collection uh -huh. is. Labs are just going to wipe out a lot of it, right? They're, it they can eat. Uh, like when they're in that raw form, it's just going to, it's, there's not going to play nice together in that concentrated state. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's really weird. I've never heard that. I mean, is that some kind of Jadam thing or something, or I don't know. I don't really know. It's just like, I was going through a bunch of different sites and I can't remember where I read that. I'm going to have to go back and look at it, but I'm glad to talk to you first before I, I started going down that long path. No, I would, I would go to Chris Trump's, um, YouTube and look at his stuff. He has a wonderful online course as well. If you're hardcore about it, um, uh -huh. he also teaches online courses or in-person courses in the states. Um, sometimes also in Europe and Africa. Obviously not now, but he does do that. You know, pre pre plague, uh, he did that. So I'm sure he will again. <laughs> pre plague. Uh, yeah. The before but, times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the before times. That's what we call it. The before times. <laughs> Um, but uh, he has a whole guide to IMO one, two, three, four, and, and all the rest. So good. May have to go down that the rabbit hole a little bit and see what comes out the other side. Mm. So you I say think it really some of the best stuff as far as you know breaking through into the newer newer era of farming. Um, there's another gentleman who's doing a, his own version of this in Vietnam, and he's taking different plants and putting them in larger containers 
uh, and taking a liquid IMO. So he's doing the IMO collection to the IMO2, which is where you cut it with the sugar. Then mm -hmm. he's taking that, brewing it up, like we talked about. And then instead of applying it to the plants, he's taking it, making a vat of that uh, brewed liquid IMO. And then he's putting plants in it and letting the microbes just eat the plants down and making like a plant slurry. Uh, and then adding more and more and more for three to four months at a time. And he's getting crazy high parts per million values that are, you know, identical to what, you know, synthetic salts are, but it's all derived from like bananas and banana trunks <laughs> and um, grape leaves and squash leaves and, you know, these different things. And um, he's running whole systems without any fertigation and all the fertilizers coming from the broken down liquid plants. And wow. I think that that really is going to be the, the future. If, if we can do that and start to map out most of the common weeds and the, the more common plants in many of the different parts of the world, I think that could be a huge source of fertilizer that would allow people to get away from the Syngentas and away from all these big corporate fertilizer companies and allow them to, to not spend money on that kind of crap and then just collect their stuff from their yard and use that as a fertilizer instead of uh, you know relying on these other people. They don't need it. They're, they're, mm -hmm. They just need to, you know, learn how to utilize the, what they already have a little differently. That's all. That's a liquid compost is what you're making there. Sounds like, yep. essentially. So that's pretty cool. Processing time on it must be much, much faster than having to sit there and turn a pile constantly. So yeah, let's go, that, can we go through that, that process again, just to make sure that we have it clear. You get rice. So you boil the rice until it's 75% nut. So it's a little soft, but a little hard as well, but, right? And you do what with it then? You put it on uh, on some sheets, uh, wooden wooden sheets, cardboard sheets. What we're we talking about there? In, in a small wooden box with um, holes drilled into it or with lats. What size box are we talking? So you you look maybe a shoe box size, meter by half a meter box. Right, right. Or maybe a meter by meter if you want to make a big big one, but half a meter by meter, half a meter would be fine. And you just leave that sitting outside for four days, four or five days. Yep. And then you bring it home, mix it with sugar, with like the same amount of sugar. So if you have two kilos of this rice stuff, then you mix two kilos of sugar with it. Brown sugar, preferably. Yep. Here, I'll, uh, I can screen share it, actually. I have some pictures if you want me to. Sweet. Yeah, we'll have a look, man. It sounds interesting. I think my box, my box would have to have screw down anchors. I know the possums and, and, and the raccoons and armadillos. <laughs> for sure. I uh, just sitting here thinking. I I can see what Mikey's weekend project is. <laughs> uh -huh. Now I've got another one to do, and I've got I've got a mission. But this this looks seems like very interesting stuff, especially for the listeners. A lot of people are going to enjoy this information here. So uh, oh, yeah. I am my indigenous microorganisms one. So yep. native fungi, bacteria, archaea, and other beneficials. Right, so you see this box, and it, it's mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it got uh, what's that you put over the top? Just some like uh, grease paper or something, cloth, is it? Yeah, it's just like parchment, it looks like you got mice and rats out basically. Cool, right? And then you can even take some uh, if you find some pieces of bark or branches that have some mycorrhizal fungi on them, put mm -hmm. them on top of the cage too, they'll drop spores on and through the through the paper towel, nice, um, and uh. Yeah, so then we'll, and then this is your uh, IMO2. So this is where we have equal equal weight sugar, right. equal weight of IMO1 collection. Okay. And then we mix it together to stabilize it. That, that looks beautiful, Lennis. Yes. Well, almost <laughs> like a little crumble for a pie there, you know? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. 
And so this is I, uh, this is IMO two. So this is yeah, like the, the second stage yes. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So this is stabilized. So at this the, point here, is this where you add the bits of insects that you were trying to keep away? No. So you would you would go back and add it at this point. Right. And IMO one point after you've done that. Yeah, so that to make a different that. material, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you mix it together so it would be kind of even throughout. Mm -hmm. okay. like a chocolate chip cookie with bugs in it instead of chocolate chips <laughs> again yeah. sounds tasty it's a delicacy in some countries i'm sure yeah i'm yeah. sure but not here <laughs> not, not mine once it's in the uh imo tooth form um this is stable for up to two or three years so you can no take way and what i like to do is i'll take you know one maybe every week or two and then you just you know here's the one for january of this year you just combine them all together for that month um, and then that works really well for just having your different months. So then if I'm growing in February, I'll take some from January and some from March of the previous year uh, right. and uh, maybe even add out one month ahead in the springtime. So you can kind of jumpstart your microbes because you're going to have different microbes collected at different times of the year. So how much are you getting from each, you know, the box you're using? Uh, how much do you get out of it? Say five kilos, is it? So, so you can put as much as you want, but usually we do one kilo collections or half a kilo collections right. for each box. We'll put out, you know, five to six boxes. And that's uh, one kilo of the rice and uh, yeah. and then one kilo of sugar after that, mix it together. And you can store that in a jar for a few years. Yep. Yeah. And again, you have to weigh it because sometimes the fungi can be heavier or lighter depending mm -hmm. on what it is that you collected. But the, the trick is to not have too much green in it. You know, a little bit of yellow and black and other things is okay as long as it's not, you know, more than about 2 or 3%. But, uh, yeah, this is a ways that you can kind of, um, you know, revitalize properties that are, you know, bringing back the native microbes that are supposed to be there and they'll thrive there once you reestablish them. I know there's a, a cattle rancher who's running this on 80,000 acres uh, in Wyoming, a guy that comes out to the weed things. He doesn't grow weed at all. There's no interest in cannabis, but he loves all the science of it. And he's using a lot of this KNF stuff up there. We call him Cowboy. I, I forget what his real name is, but um, <laughs> he, he actually had a 35% increase in the total surviving um, calves uh, after the first year of using this because they were, they were coming out much heavier weights. He had like fewer secondary problems with the calves, but he had a huge increase in the fertility and of the the, you know, compared to the previous year, uh, the surviving calves was up 35%, which was crazy. Wow. So that is. Like cattle farming and stuff. Another thing with the lactobacillus we talked about, it's great for mitigating the smells and chicken coops and, and cattle farms and pig farms. It's good for keeping it clean. Uh, you can spray that down when you're cleaning down the, the places and spray down the pens with it. So it keeps the, keeps the place smelling uh, a lot better. And uh, I mean, it's just good stuff. I think this really is the way of the future is this mapping out a lot of these microbes. And that's one of the benefits of the, I guess, one of the, the silver linings on, on the plague uh, is that it's really <laughs> the price of DNA testing, right? So we have these rapid DNA testers that we can test, you know, plant tissue or soil tissue or, or whatever else, uh, soil samples and other things. And we're going to be able to start to identify these microbes, you know, in a way that we've never had the ability to map out before across our different plant communities, which I think is going to be really, really awesome. Um, and uh, and help us learn a lot more about, you know, why certain plants do what they do in certain environments. That's crazy, man. Is this something you'll be implementing on your farms in Zimbabwe, of course? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we have, you can get, I mean, the entry level now are about $1,400. So it's not even like they're expensive anymore. 
What for? Um, so you can get a tester through like um, uh, medicinal genomics uh, that can do quite a bit of different DNA testing for different uh, specific alleles and stuff so that you can no test your stuff, viruses and sex testing and all that stuff on site. Um, uh, and then that the, for a little bit more money now, you can get a DNA um, uh, tester that'll do a wide range of it for, you know, 12 to 16K now. Uh, where you can actually get sequencing done and stuff like that. But it's really coming down in price. And I think that, um, you know, we're few, two to four years away from being able to scoop a thing of, of sample and, you know, plug in your USB into your computer and, you know, wait however long for it to do its thing. And I, I don't think we're that far off. Wow. Now, what, what do you mean USB on there? It's going to be on your phone. <laughs> we'll be doing it in, in the field with a 5G connection. So all this bacteria stuff is fascinating. It's, it's complex, though. It, well, it, like anything, really, it sounds complex in the in the beginning. Yeah, so that's Chris. But, Sweet. Uh, he's worked all over the world on, with different projects with coffee producers and macadamia nut producers and, you know, some cannabis stuff. He's currently working on a big cannabis operation in, in Colorado. Um, but he has really good how-to videos for all these different things. Um, you know, so definitely check it out if you're looking to learn more about that. Um, he has a really good uh, a how to video for IMO1, IMO2, IMO3, 4, 5. Sweet. Uh, all the rest. Sounds good, man. Everybody check that shit out. It seems like there's some good detailed videos on how to do all of this microbe thing. So when you oh, have yeah. your, when you have the IMO3, is it when, when that's finished and it's in the jar, how would you go about using that? Sure. So, so if once you have it preserved uh, in the IMO2 uh, for long-term storage, um, you can um, take that and then just take like a, a large teaspoon of that per gallon uh, and throw, or per two gallons actually. Um, and then, well, I guess you could technically get five out of it. Now that I think about it, but for five gallons, oh, sorry. <laughs> I got an early start today because I had to take the dogs to the vet. So um, oh, good. Uh, you take about a bit large teaspoon per five gallons, you brew it all up with an air stone. So now you have your, your good microbial mix and then you can add that to your regular irrigation, going out to your plants or water that onto your plants. And that's how you utilize that. You can also spray it foliarly in veg. Do not do it in flour. If you're a commercial mm -hmm. producer, it can cause you to fail microbial units. Um, not that it's bad for the plants, but it will cause you to fail for total colony forming units if they bacterial test it. So don't do that. <laughs> uh just so something you have to go through with your shit. Do you sell your stuff as well? Uh, yeah, I work with a bunch of licensed producers. I have one in uh, Ada, Oklahoma. There's another one I work with in um, uh, just north of Oklahoma City. Uh, and then um, I have one of the work with one of the few producers in Georgia. The state of Georgia actually has a few hemp and cannabis producers now that are legally licensed. So we have a facility out there as well. Mm. Um, uh, so all over. Do you have to go through this rigorous testing as well? Oh, yeah. All of our stuff is tested for cannabinoids, terpenes, um, bacterial colony forming, uh, colony forming units for bacteria and for pesticides and heavy metals. So all of those things. So we get tested for cadmium, arsenic, and lead. And I forget what the fourth one is. Damn. Would you say it's pretty strict then? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. We, we see a lot of people failing because they're overusing certain organic inputs. So people will go crazy with kelp and then yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of 
arsenic in it. Um, and then all same thing with like some of the rock dusts, people are failing for chromium um, because they don't understand that, you know, some of these are mining byproducts. Like, right. It's, you know, mm. a problem for cannabis where they monitor that stuff. Whereas, you know, in vegetables and stuff, they don't test for any of that crap. You know, especially as home growers, because, you know, if a little is good, a lot must be a lot better, right? Well, then and people are like, well, it's organic, so surely it can't do any harm, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's just kelp. It's Cyanide is organic as well. Yeah, and yes. arsenic too, yeah, so yeah. Lots of organic shit that will fuck you up, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wind up too many apple seeds. Indeed. Exactly. Cherry pits, solid good stuff. You know what? That, that was something that was pretty cool. They do the... Um, Oh, what's the name of the bean? Castor beans in, in Zimbabwe, the sand people, the Khoisan. Uh, they used to bring down like elephants and giraffes and lions and stuff with these poison darts. So they take really large acacia uh, needles and they use them on these tiny little bows, but they put um, uh, castor bean extract uh, on it and then they just shoot them with it and wait for the animal to die. You know, they poison them with it and I thought that was pretty wild. Yeah, it is. I think it's like a ricin compound or something ricin, in that yeah, castor bean. Yeah, they make a, a version of ricin out of it. Yep. That's weird. Um, mm. I, I, would, I think I'd be afraid to eat the meat after that myself, but... Yeah, yeah. Good point, man. <laughs> Shoot good. ricin into the animal and then cook him. Yeah, really. No, just poison that thing to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well poisoning is different to venomous though i suppose isn't it? i mean eating it's probably okay well, after it's been cooked and that and digested well it depends too i mean a lot of these poisons if they've been heated up in the body of an animal for more than 30 minutes or whatever you know they're going to break down they're going to do the damage and break down pretty quickly you actually see that with saponins right so the like in um uh they're Native Americans that lived in the West Coast in California and Oregon used to collect uh, yucca root. They'd squeeze the yucca root on the rocks and squeeze the juice out and concentrate it into clay vessels and let it evaporate down. And then they'd pour that into the river during the salmon runs and it would poison uh. the section of the river and they'd just wait half a mile or a mile down the river in a shallow area with all the tribe. And then all the fish would float to the surface and they would just collect them all. Um, dilute down and then not be a harmful anymore but then they would take them smoke them and dry them uh, and then they would eat them uh, over the winter that was kind of their winter store food you know food storage work smart not hard right okay awesome work with nature that's it i see i reckon there's so many of these kind of techniques that have been lost over time over these thousands of years man like fishing with dynamite yeah, I suppose something like that, but <laughs> but, but, but with the right mushroom in it, with the right fungus, yeah, the right kind of bacteria. That seems to be something that we don't do very much nowadays. Is the whole bacteria thing, but it seems to be coming back. The same about that ivermectin. That was uh, some microbe that was found in some garden in Japan, uh, and it's just uh, it's like it was exclusive to that certain section of soil which they found it in because the microbes differ so much all across the planet. So is this farm in Zimbabwe, is it yours, is it? I'm just a consultant. I can't... Uh, oh, right, uh, just a consultant, right. Specific okay. arrangements on, on ownership of stuff. Right, right. I thought you were going to be starting a new farm in Zimbabwe, man. That'd be sweet. No, no Zim, I don't know if I would move to Zim permanently. They're, uh, I don't know, something about countries that have secret police, you know, mm. not, not a place I want to settle down at, but... 
Jamaica, I would totally go to. I would totally move to Jamaica. I love Jamaica. In fact, I'll be headed back down to Jamaica later this year for working with a, a new group in Westmoreland. Sweet. What are you going to be doing? Growing? New, yeah. Cannabis related, yeah. I suppose. Always. Yeah. I do. The only thing I do these days, sometimes I'll do organic um, certified aquaponic vegetable facilities. Mm-hmm. I'm one of three people that has worked, worked with the USDA and, and or not USDA, the uh, Oregon Tilth uh, and gotten our, our stuff passed SOP wise. But um, I'm actually currently working with a couple of people in the Aquaponics Association on a a white list for people so that there's a master list of things that are recommended for use in aquaponics in terms of pest controls and inputs so that people kind of can have a menu of things that won't screw their shit up uh, that we can all agree on is commercially viable and commercially approved for for production of vegetables or, or cannabis um, so that's you know something that i've been working on the last half a year or so uh, put compiling and putting all that together along with all the different you know EPA registration numbers and all that happy horse shit. Um, so, um, is it easy that, to do aquaponics at home? Is yeah, so, so that anybody can do it, but also so that there's some some amount of regulatory stuff because sometimes we see people using really crazy stuff, uh, right. and I think by having a set of regular, you know, not not something that they're held to as far as you have to use this, but hey, here's the recommended list so that you know if you use anything on this list, you're safe, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that'll help advance the, you know, the easier we make it, the more people are going to adapt it. Right. So that's what makes me want to do things. <laughs> if it's too complex, it's like, Oh gosh, don't think I've got time to figure that shit out right now. But if it's easy, it's way more likely to be taken up in it. I mean, I've got a turtle tank, a pet turtle, just a small, a small turtle. It's not massive. It's even a, it might even be a terrapin. I don't even know what the fuck it is really. <laughs> What's it called? Yellow belly, yellow striped turtle, or something like that. But anyway, would you be able to use the water from that to feed plants? Oh yeah, I, not only could you use it to feed plants, but I think you know how stinky their water can get after a while. Yeah. Uh huh. If you add the lactobacillus, it won't stink anymore. Oh cool. So the, yeah, it'll make it pleasant. <laughs> so this lactobacillus this is the one you make from the yogurt, did you say? Yeah. I can pull that up too if you want. Hold on. Yeah, cool. You should. So, how would you make it? You say you make that as well, monkey dear. Yeah, I make no. I make this every week. No, I've read about it, Mac. Yeah. Oh, you read it. about it? That's right. Yeah. But yeah. no, you see, he's talking about the, like the way off of yogurt and and uh, and, uh dairy products such as that would be high in lactobacillus. So I'm thinking like, hey, mm-hmm. I could cheat mm-hmm. and just harvest it instead of throwing it away. I could save it and, and use it. Just reading what they're saying in the chat here. Yeah, I've tried to get Jeff Lowenfels on on the show before, Joe, but uh, we tried to contact him. I haven't been able to get in touch with him. He, um, I bet he'll be doing a tour again. He's got a new book coming out soon called Teaming with Bacteria. Cool. Seems to be a subject everyone's talking about right now. All right. And viruses, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We use this for for all these kinds of things. Um, It's also going to be used as pH down, but... Um, you can take just some kefir from your store, throw it in your milk. What's kefir? What's kefir is like a, a, a kefir is like a that's like a yogurt um, probiotic. Um, it's a, just a lactobacillus culture. Uh, you just get that from a normal shop, can you? Yeah, any health food store or anything okay. like that will have it. Uh, you can also get it online, you know, on, mm-hmm, on Amazon mm-hmm. or whatever else. 
this is a five gallon bucket worth you know we, we've taken the curds off the top so the, the curds... that must smell dreadful really oh gosh i don't think that i'll be doing this myself no i promise <laughs> you it doesn't smell like soured milk it doesn't okay yeah. Oof. Um, and i mean if you let it sit out too long get too hot it will eventually will but it, it doesn't smell bad for quite a few days you got to use it right away or cut it 50 percent with sugar uh, okay. Again, same idea. You're locking out the through osmotic pressure. You're locking out the uh, um, the oxygen. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, I prefer to do it, use it fresh personally. Um, but then you can take this curds off the top, and then you take it, get some cheesecloth, press it real tight, squeeze all the stuff out, add some salt to it, and then add whatever seasonings you want to it, and then heat it up, and then you can make some really nice homemade cheese that way. Um, it's also really good if you want to do like a, a an infused canna infused cheese uh, it's a great way to make it because you're already going to make this or if you have fish or goats or dogs or cats it's good for to feed them as a good probiotic and just fat and protein there's nothing bad in it it's good um so and then you have the the labs which is this lower portion here now you can also you just get the super probiotics so if you go to the pharmacy and you tell them hey i had been prescribed some um antibiotics i need to like fix my gut they usually have this like super lactobacillus behind the counter they're not like prescription or anything they're usually just kept in the back not normally for sale unless you ask for it so you kind of have to ask for them but they're really good as well they'll work to, if you can't get kefir um, or you like live in the city and you want to whatever whatever you just don't have access to it you can totally buy that at the pharmacy instead um, or yeah. em1 is a pretty good way that you can inoculate it as well so but this works really good for powdery mildew botrytis fusarium pythium septoria i don't know if you guys ever deal with septoria but this is a great treatment for septoria you spray them foliarly and then the root system uh, for getting rid of the septoria that's i remember that place <laughs> i remember that pharmacy thing though because i remember with the kids were young when they would get the too much antibiotics and would have to ask behind the counter at the pharmacy and he would get it out the refrigerator and give it to us and you'd, put, you'd mix it in the kids milk or something like that and would fix their gut it would everything would go back to normal again that's exactly what exactly what we're using um the wider variety of lactobacillus you get with kefir or with the probiotics gives you a wider variety mm -hmm. of vitamin b complex which acts as a better growth stimulator uh, in plants good you know super thrive is basically different forms of vitamin d uh, if you've ever, I don't know if that's available in, across the pond. But. So uh, we'll have a quick read of this. Pour four gallons of milk into your sealable container and then pour a quarter gallons of rice wash into your milk. So that's pretty much where you've washed some rice, right? Uh -huh. The yep. shit that comes off the rice. Then inoculate with seed, bactacillus, lactobacillus, bactacillus. <laughs> These long ass words and shit. Uh, by adding one to six containers of kefir grains, or a cup of curd uh, and whey. The curd and whey. That's from uh, eating her curds and whey. That's from that fucking Little Miss Tuffet song, isn't it? Yeah. Getting distracted twice in a single sentence and whey from your previous batch. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it seems all pretty easy to do. Yep. Really simple. And uh, if it's colder in your house or where you're doing it, it can take an extra couple of days. Um, the, the length of time for it to take uh, depends on the biodiversity of your lactobacillus and then as well as um, the temperature, you know, if it's 70 or uh, what is it? Uh, I don't remember what 70 degrees Fahrenheit is in Celsius. I apologize, guys. That's good. But, I don't know either. <laughs> uh, I'll look it up. So it would be 
about 26 maybe uh, like 21 21 ish 22 something like that so okay. if it's around there it'll go a little faster you know if it's down around 18 or 16 it'll go a little slower but that Sweet. stuff is great man it's it's a good base but you you get that in the liquid imo and you it's really good for treating diseases you get like a weird disease fungal disease or something um uh that can definitely be a um you know a solution for for that and if you guys have growth questions too man like i'm, I'm always happy to spread the knowledge i don't know more like wondering about uh your podcast and shit like that it would be good to know about the the growing with the fishes the actual podcast itself like, mm -hmm. what uh what notable guests have you had you had tommy chung on you've had everybody on right the only person who's not jorge but which one yeah. really stands out to you the most um, I think some of the more interesting guests that we've had on, we had um, a guy walk us through his glass blowing shop and he just picked up every object in the glass blowing lab and then like showed us how it was used or like told us about it, which I thought was Sweet. kind of neat. We had a, a guy give us a tour of a packaging facility where they do all the like R&D for different types of products um, for different types of packaging equipment and things. So that was kind of neat as far as metered dosing and stuff like that. Um, what else? We have uh, Dr. Efron Cazares. He's a really, really cool guest, a mycologist that has an understanding of mycorrhizal fungi that is just a whole league above anyone else on the market, which I think is really cool. Um, who else? Um, Frenchie. We had Frenchie mm -hmm. on a bunch. Mm -hmm. um, he was really great. Um, always fun to have Wayne Justman on um, from, you know, talking to some of those old uh, uh, old guard people who helped get cannabis legalized in the first mm -hmm. place. So that's always fun. Uh, and then some of the uh, people that really get into the funky, you know, soil science. I love, we had Quan Khan Fem on from Vietnam the other day, uh, episode 251. He talked about a bunch of this advanced natural farming methods. And it's really cool to kind of see all these different ways kind of like feed off of each other over the years and like mesh and take ideas from each other and then see somebody work on that for two or three years and see what they came up with. And it's just, just neat kind of seeing how the scenes kind of evolved especially towards the the more uh, organic nutrient production side i think is really um uh um yeah definitely different uh and um neat to see uh you know roll out so you haven't I always been thought... an organic sorry jb did you say something oh i was gonna say uh, um never thought i'd be living in oklahoma that's for sure mm -hmm. Yeah, Oklahoma is kind of a nice, nice state to be in right now with the cannabis laws, though. Oh yeah, yeah we have more the, liberal states in the South, at least. Most liberal state in the entire country right now. Nice. So. Wow. So lucky, man. We still have here in the UK and Ireland, and even where Monkey is as well. Still can't even do this shit legally. We have to sit behind avatars rather than letting our cameras out and shit. It's a pain in the ass, man. Yeah, we have, uh, I mean, we have concert halls that have 2,000 people and it's weed friendly and they serve beer and alcohol. So you can just bring your dab rig or bring your bong and smoke your weed. They don't sell, you can't, they can't sell you weed, bring but it. you can, um, so, so it's kind of nice. neat to like watch a concert <laughs> and sit there and chief your bong at a place and then buy beers and have a food truck and it's just, and who would have thought that would be like in Oklahoma, right? Like that's crazy. Really? 
Well, it might not be legal, but I did see quite a few plumes coming up out of the Red Rocks in Denver a, few, a couple of times, so. <laughs> Crazy shit, man. So how many plants have you worked with? You know, when you go to these big farms, you're doing consultancy. Do you work with a lot of plants? Yeah, so, I mean, most of the facilities I'm working with now are 6,000 square feet or bigger. Um, and then right now, I mean, one of the projects we're working on is 105,000 square feet and 50 acres so of outdoor. So, I mean, it's getting some of the production in Oklahoma is getting ridiculous in size. Not ridiculous in size, but, you know, certainly getting up to like, you know, commodity scale um, in terms of production. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see how this all rolls out. So do you have a home grow as well there, Steve? Um, yeah, we have a little one I'm setting up right now. It's, I don't have it all. I don't have anything going yet, but we have a little setup. I, I found a 55 gallon aquarium off of Craigslist the other day. So Sweet. I haven't got everything up yet, but the idea is to make like a home scale kind of thing and show people how to do like an aquarium setup with an, you know, regular standard home aquarium. And then, you know, a flood and drain bed and stuff like that with, a uh, with the setup there. I just haven't had time. I've been traveling and this first part of the year has been extremely busy. November, December was really slow. And then all of a sudden the January came around the floodgates open. So which isn't a bad thing. It just means I'm very busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure, man. When you with do the pace of <clears throat> the pace of legalization, it looks like you're only going to get a little bit more busy. More yeah, and more I'm countries are looking at it these days. Oh, yeah. And that's really where a lot of the expansion is international. You know, a lot of countries are not going to allow for import export, certainly not for import. Um, so they're going to want to have domestic production. And a lot of them have no idea how to grow. Uh, and uh, I mean, some of the large ideas that I've seen people try to scale up from like home scale labor wise, it's just crazy. Like I was at a grow last year, it was four acres and they were trying to hand water. And it was like, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. And they only had, anyways, they only had 3,200 plants for four acres, which is like, we can put 3,000 on one acre. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Damn. So you wouldn't want to do your own farm, no? Are you happy just doing the consultancy thing? I would. I mean, I'd like to have my own farm at some point, um, especially if I could find the right business partner that, you know, that had a good opportunity. But it's also a lot of fun, like, not being tied down and traveling like i get to mm -hmm. travel you know internationally a couple times a year doing really cool stuff and you know i'm young and spry and you know i'm still capable of doing that so i'm kind of enjoying uh, traveling the world right now especially with uh, it expanding internationally i think it's a lot more fun to you know teach places and then also trying to um like when i was in africa we were teaching free classes for some of the local farmers on free natural farming and stuff we were going over earlier I think it's really fun to kind of, you know, be able to do some free classes for people that wouldn't normally have access to this kind of info with someone that can help translate that I'm working with on the farm already. And I can train my guys and then train some of the local people too. And you know, kind of do the whole greed for good thing, right? Like if we can take the cannabis industry and make the world a little better at the same time uh, while we're doing it and that get money into areas that normally wouldn't have access to Western funds and things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really see any, you know, I think that's a great way that we can kind of use cannabis as like an ambassador for good and give it a better name than what it's been given, you know, all these years. So how about Fumi as well? We haven't, you, we spoke to Fumi when he was on your show. Have you been working with him for a while? So you come on your show often. Uh, yeah, about a year. Um, we, uh, 
I am on his show all the time. He has another show on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Saturdays, um, Pacific time, mm-hmm. uh, at uh, 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., uh, depending on the day. Uh, and um, his show is kind of fun. It's like more like a bar style. So it's like a large panel of people that are all goofing off. And, you know, we're all growers or commercial producers or whatever. So we all ask and answer people's grow questions and stuff and chat and have cool discussions but we'll also talk about like cool history you know we'll go off about like olga of kiev or like some other weird cool story from history because someone brought something up or said something funny so we'll go off onto some random tangent about something that happened one time sweet tangent (laughs) Tangent. yes we like to do them kind of sessions on a friday But uh, but yeah, my podcast this in March next month will be uh, six years. Uh, we're on like, currently 277 episodes or something like that. Um, so it's been a, a really long ride. And uh, we, I mean, we've had quite a few guests pass away. Uh, we had one of the guys that was one of the original people to help fight for Michigan to get legalized. Um, um, uh, Michael McShane, he passed away. He survived cancer for 37 years with... Um, taking uh cannabis oil it completely knocked it back and then you know one day had some kind of other issue happen but um he was told he had like two weeks to live and he was like well i got nothing to lose so he just tried making rso oil and it worked no fucking way one of the craziest stories i'd ever heard um in terms of you know kind of being given a death sentence and then walking back from that um you know i thought that was pretty cool Mm. Um, and then, uh, I don't just, we, a lot of different, uh, ideas. We've had so many different guests now, uh, that had different kind of perspectives on the same kind of thing and, and really learned a lot. I want, I love talking to all different breeders and asking them what they look for in a different male or female for breeding stock and how, like, you never get the same answer. You can ask a hundred breeders that and they'll have a hundred different answers. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's also one of my favorite things, uh, is just learning the different ways that the breeders are thinking. Uh, and how they approach the whole problem uh, is just neat that and then also just the old stories so talking to people that have been into it for a long time and talking about the old days when things were really really crazy so mm. <laughs> breeder steve had some great stories when we had him on the show have you you've, you've had breeder steve on your show right i have not had Buddha steve on my show oh, no. breeder steve yeah breeder steve from spice of life Reader Steve and I are good friends. Yeah, man, he's always got great stories. Oh yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've had a couple of crazy ones myself. When we were so, I was the <laughs> first person to legally import seeds to Zimbabwe, and we go to pick it up, and there was like, I forget how many boxes of forty thousand seeds in each box, and you open it, and they were fresh seeds from that fall, so they had terps and stuff on it, right? So when you open a bag of that many seeds, it had a it smelled like weed, right? Mm-hmm. and uh the guy opens the box because like you can smell the boxes right <laughs> so <laughs> the guy's like there's no way this white kid's trying to show up at the airport <laughs> to get weed like you must think we're stupid like we're gonna they're like oh we're getting ready to like arrest me right so then i pull out my papers and my license and all this so then he looks at it and he's like all right so he has to call his boss or whatever and his boss comes down from wherever he was watching and uh then they take the box and he's like huh, let's test the dogs. And I'm like, oh shit. So they take the dogs and they put they put the boxes out because the paperwork checked out. So the, they weren't mad about that. 
but they put the box out with some other random packages from you know that they had at the airport and then uh, they bring the dogs around and they're having the dogs search all this stuff and uh, they don't find the the dogs don't hit on the seed and suddenly they get real fucking mad because uh, <laughs> they realize that those dogs weren't really trained as, as drug dogs or at least not <laughs> Uh, suddenly Shit. these guys that were like laughing and joking and kind of like like jokingly being like oh we're gonna arrest you and ever like you know kind of having fun with it but even though my papers checked out like it was all good suddenly got to like pissed off and like angry and like it was like cool can i get my box and go now i gotta we gotta get back to the farm. <laughs> yeah you know the guy who sold the dogs yeah he's the smuggler yeah, <laughs> yeah very quickly grab our shit and get the fuck up out of there before they started uh, asking you know really giving us our time. yeah scary shit man damn god <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny but i don't know i've had quite a few other stories that uh i should probably allow a little bit more time to pass between now and <laughs> you know the uh the, what's it called man the statue of limitations right? yeah crazy but, shit I mean, all kinds of stuff, uh, yeah. yeah. So what's the What's the future for growing with fishes? What are you going to be? What, what's going up next? Um, I think we're just going to try and do a little. Like I like the direction. A couple, I don't know, maybe episode two hundred or so. We switched to having fewer panelists and having just one or two panelists, and then more formalized interviews just with the guest, and not so much uh, after show afterwards. And I think that it's working better for the show. Um, so I think we're going to do that, and then. Maybe trying to do um, uh, uh, an in-person club here in Oklahoma here soon uh, with um, uh, another person. Uh, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't tell people that the guy's moving yet, but a friend of mine's moving out here, and uh, we're going to be probably doing a lot of content together in Oklahoma City. So I think we're going to start doing a, a live event and in a, a person with a, a live crowd and stuff too. Once, especially once springtime rolls around, cool. uh, I think it'll be fun as well. So kind of doing some more interactive stuff, but. Uh, yeah, just that and uh, just trying to do more more content as far as shorts. We're trying to do more five or 10 minute clips of some of the cool stuff that we've had. And there's a lot of um, content that are in a lot of the longer episodes that people, you know, are real gems. So maybe just cutting out some of the cool stuff from different older episodes and, and something else that I've been wanting to do. I just haven't had the time. It's a lot of work, isn't it? That video editing shit. Yeah. <laughs> And there we go. I hope you enjoyed the interview. We have an interview come out every week, every Wednesday. There's a new interview. You can check out lots of interviews that we've done in the past. On Friday, we're going to have the Grow Guides. We will be talking about making hash. So you can make some hashish out of your trim after harvest or your buds if you wanted to. We'll be explaining all that on Friday. Don't forget you can join us live every Sunday on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash homegrown. And you can catch us live on Sundays at 9 p.m. UK time, GMT. So you just search wherever you are and you'll be able to find out what time it starts for you. But of course, what we want you to do right now, after you finish listening to the show, is head over to percysgrowroom.com and sign up to the forum. Come and say hi to us. You'll find me and Monkey over there every day. Me and Monkey are there. So if you want to come and talk to us, that would be sweet. The other panel members can be found on different social networks. But if you want to speak to Monkey or myself, then head over to percysgrowing.com and we'll always happy to see you over there. It'll be good to see you. So until Sunday, well, Friday, if you're catching up with the hash making guide on Friday, it'll be good to see you then. But hopefully we'll see you either at percysgrowing.com or 
for the live show on Sunday at youtube.com slash high and home grow. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you then. Goodbye.